this morning, we are starting a new message series called Fearless. Fearless. If you experience fear as a human being, it just means that you're a human being. It's a completely natural thing. Fear is a natural human emotion. It's a reaction to a threat or a, a reaction to adversity. But we also know that soon it can become this paralyzing power that stops you from living. And that's why the fruit of your life, the outcome of your life, of your decisions, in large part, is determined by how well you manage your fears. Fear will always be a present factor in your life. The fruit of your life, your success, is determined in a large part by how well you manage your fears. And I guess that there's a number of people here in this room that are struggling with different kinds of fears. There's fear from about the future. Maybe you've gotten some medical news that you're not excited about. Maybe it's an employment that strikes at the worst of times. Maybe the economy is starting to affect your business as well. Maybe you have fear in your relationships. Maybe your marriage is not going well, or your kids are starting to make the most terrible decisions in life. Maybe the, is the fear of entering a new relationship, the fear of commitment, or maybe the fear of confronting a relationship that you already know is quite damaged. Maybe the fear of never being in a relationship. And we all, uh, we all struggle with different kinds of fear throughout our lives, but we're going to look in the book of Judges today, and we're going to see a character in the Bible, a real person, but a character, a guy who was not courageous, a guy that is not necessarily a role model for us today, but whom God helped overcome his fears. So let's read together from the book of Judges, chapter 6. Uh, I hope that you're in for two hours in the presence of God in a message, okay? I have seven pages. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's good. It's the Word of God. So I'll do my very best, and you guys will do your very best. So let's read together. Judges chapter 6, the first four verses. The Word of God says, and the context is after Deborah, the judge, died, so a very important person in the book of Judges, one of the main prophets in the Old Testament, she died. The people of Israel did what the Lord considered evil. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years. Midian's power was too strong for Israel. The Israelites made hiding places in the mountains and caves. Whenever Israel planted crops, Midian, Amalek, and Kedem came and damaged the crops. They left nothing for Israel to live on, not one sheep, cow, or donkey. So the Israelites became very poor because of Midian. Now imagine the frustration. Imagine the level of despair. If you lived at this time with your families, with your little ones, Everything you're trying to build in life is constantly destroyed. You don't know what else to do but to hide. And I know that some of you don't even have to imagine 
Because this is exactly happening in your life as we speak about this. You enter this new relationship with a great feeling that it's perfect, that it's going to last forever, and soon you know it, this person is actually cheating on you. You start this beautiful, amazing job. God, thank you, this is a wonderful job. But then your boss, you have a new boss that makes your life, makes you hate Mondays, let's just say that. <laughs> you spend so much time planning and building your home and choosing the pain and choosing the furniture and, and making sacrifices so that you have something to bring to your, to you when you're older. But then, all of a sudden, there is a flood, there is a storm, and everything goes away. So some of you go through these feelings. Some of you already know this kind of experience. The Bible continues in verse 6. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help because of what the Midianites had done to them, the Lord sent a prophet to them. Now, wait a minute. I may get maybe getting all confused. I think that is a bit strange. So they're going through this problem with a, a cold country overpowering them and they cry out to God for help, right? That's the right thing to do. When we go through troubles, if your heart is away from God and if you're doing every single thing wrong, but at the end you remember, I need to cry out to God because he is the one that should is able to help me. And God sends a prophet. They weren't really asking for teaching. They were asking for deliverance. They were asking God, do something about my problem. This would be like being stuck on the side of the road. You had just had an accident and you call your insurance company. But instead of them sending a tow truck, they send you a flyer about safe driving. <laughs> That's not really helpful. Verse 8 says, he said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of, of Egypt. I took you away from slavery. I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and from the power of those who oppressed you. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You must never fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will live. But you have not obeyed me. You see, Israel's problem was not primarily the Midianites. They were their own problem. They were asking for deliverance, but God said, what do you need first in your life is a sermon. Because what you need first in your life is a change of heart. And some of you, I dare to say, are like Israel in this story. You are seeking something from God, but what God wants to put the spotlight first is in your very own heart. But let me be very clear, not every suffering is due to disobedience. Believers often suffer like Jesus did. And Jesus was always obedient to the Father. God is not this harsh Father just waiting in the corner for every time that you will mess things up. No, but sometimes God allows you and I to suffer the consequences of our disobedience. Psalm 119, 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. 
but now I obey your word. So I think it's just worth asking each and every one of us asking this morning, is God possibly trying to get your attention this weekend? Is it possible that you're come wanting uh, to God, asking for help and deliverance, or you're asking for a raise, or you're asking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and God is actually saying, what I need to do first in your life has to do with your heart. Because that is way more important than your circumstances. God is so, he cares so much about your heart that you and I don't even know. He hasn't allowed hardship in your life to pay you back. No. But he allows hardship and he allows your suffering and my suffering to bring us back to him. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came had sat under the terebinth tree at Oprah, while Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hid it from the Midianites. Some of you already know, oh, Gideon, I know that name. I've heard a Bible story of two about that guy. And we're going to talk about Gideon. But listen, where we find Gideon, he was beating out wheat in the winepress to hid it from the Midianites. Now, a wine press is a terrible place to thresh wheat. Let me, let me explain to you what happens when they have wheat. When they have wheat, they need to thresh it. it. It means that they need space because they will take all the wheat up in the air so that the wind will take everything that is unnecessary and that the grain will fall on the floor. If he was doing this in a wine press, and a wine press is such a closed space, it's a bit underground space, it means that he was breathing all of that dust. It means that it was the most unpleasant thing for uh, any person to do. But this guy was desperate. This guy was afraid. This guy had no other means to, to eat and to provide for his family as well. The point here is this hero in the story is really not a huge hero. He's, he's not a Dwayne Johnson. He's not like Jason Statham. He's not like one of those action figure guys that we love to watch movies about. And in verse 12, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, brave and mighty men. <laughs> you got your reaction just right. If this was a sitcom, this is the time for everyone to laugh. <laughs> I mean, Gideon is hiding in a hole. Was this mockery? My, my Jade is three years old now, and she says, you're joking me. You're joking me. That's no way. You're not kidding me. You're joking me. And maybe this is the main point of today. God doesn't speak to Gideon based on how he sees him at this point of the story, but based on what God wants to make of him. God doesn't reward courage with a calling. God creates courage when he calls us. In the same way, when God comes to you, he never starts with where you are. You don't need anyone to point out how desperate you are, how beat up you are from life, how lost you are. When God speaks to you, he starts with the intent to make you 
a new creation in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says that God calls into existence things that don't even exist. This verse shows us that faith is believing God when he calls into existence things that do not yet exist. Do you remember Moses from the Bible? God tells him, you're going to be a great speaker. But God, I can't speak. And God says, I will be your mouth. Abraham, God calls this sunless man father of many nations. You and I, we were dead in our own sins and transgressions, and God calls us beloved. He calls us alive in Christ. When God speaks things that do not yet exist in your life, do you dare to trust God? Do you dare to believe that God is able to do a lot more in your life? When you hear these, these voices in your head talking about your sin, talking about your situation, we need to discern what is the voice of the Holy Spirit and what is the voice of the enemy? What is the voice of Satan? I don't know, I don't think many Christians these days, they believe that Satan exists, but Satan exists. He's our enemy. We haven't chosen him as an enemy, but he made us his target. And he will speak. And sometimes and many times he will speak about your sin. And because the Holy Spirit also talks about our sin, sometimes we mess up the voices. But this is how you can tell. Satan starts with what you've done, and he will beat you up for it. He will never cease reminding you of the terrible things you've, you've done. You're a cheater. You're a liar. You're unworthy. You're a thief. You're an addict. That's his voice. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak like that. The Holy Spirit starts with a declaration of what he is making you in Christ and grows you up on it. God says you are forgiven. You are beloved. You are righteous. You are a saint. You are a brave and mighty man and woman of God. But you and I, we say, God, I am none of those things. I don't feel like any of those things. But God says, but you will see, I am working on it right now in your life. God doesn't call the brave. God doesn't call the equipped. God doesn't call the perfect. And this is very special as we look into Gideon. Because if you look into the story of Gideon, and I'm sorry for this big spoiler, but Gideon didn't end his life in the best way. Because God challenged him and called him to do something wonderful and beautiful. And Gideon... He struggled in accepting what God said about him. But God gives courage to those that he calls. God himself equips and provides for those he calls. God makes, makes perfect those he calls. This is the good news of the gospel. He makes flawed and frightened people like you and me righteous and courageous. If you're waiting on God to finish the job and give you all you need before you obey, 
you will never get there. We ask God, God, show me the provision. God, show me clearly where to go. God, give me clearly the job and the contract and give me everything that I need so that I'll obey you. But God doesn't work that way. God says, you need to obey. Then I will show you my provision. And maybe you've been waiting to follow God recently in your life, to surrender everything that you have before him, to go, to speak, on his behalf, to make a sacrifice in your life. And you're, ask, you're telling God, God, show me how this will work perfectly from beginning to end, and then I will do it. God says, wrong order. We need to step out of the boat in faith, trusting the one that is calling us righteous and brave. And then we walk on waters. Verse 13, but Gideon said to him, please tell me this, my Lord. Two questions. First, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And second question, where are the wonderful acts of our, that our fathers told us? But now the Lord has forsaken us and he has given us into the hands of Midian. Based on what we've just read, these questions are totally wrong-headed. Is it God that has left his people? Did God leave his people? No, the people have left God. The second question is even more confusing. God, why don't you do great things for us anymore? God, why do I, do, why do I not see the amazing, beautiful things that I read in the Bible? Why don't I see the things that you did like before, way before in my life? But look at what God answers in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, You will rescue Israel from Midian with the strength you have. I am sending you. God's answer to Gideon, Where are all the wonderful deeds, God? Where are the wonderful things that you were doing, God? Oh, you're asking me that, Gideon. Why? Now I'm about, I really want to do them through you. The times that we ask God, where are you? God, why are you not moving? Why are you not doing beautiful things? Why can't I see that you're acting? Why can't I see your hand moving in your life? When God is saying, I want to send you. I want you to do that. Verse 15, God, Gideon said to him, excuse me, sir. Before it was Lord, and now it's Sir. <laughs> Excuse me, Sir. How can I rescue Israel? Look at my whole family. It's the weakest one in Manasseh. And me, I'm the least important member of my family. Now, he, he really had some identity problems here. Even in the family, he saw himself as the least important person. God, I am small. God, I'm a coward. I am here threshing my wheat underground for crying out loud. The Lord replied, but I will be with you. But I will be 
with you. This is God's one-liner for everything in your life and in my life, so you need to underline it. Everything you need in your life is in this statement. I will be with you. You will defeat Midian as if it were only one man. God answers Gideon's question, God, why don't you do awesome things for us anymore? Why don't you use people like you did before? And he answers, Gideon, I am here to use you. I will be with you. We are the people God wants to use in this generation. You are the person God wants to use to be a blessing in your family. God wants to use you to be the person that brings clarity and blessing to your workplace. God wants you to be the person that blesses the people that are around you. God wants to use you. God hasn't stopped working in this world. Jesus, right before he went back to heaven, he said, I am sending you, my believers, my children, I am sending you to continue my work. So every time that we preach, every time that we play an instrument, every time that we serve breakfast, every time that we help our coworkers, every time that we pray for our families, every time that we are spreading God's love on this earth, we're actually being the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're not doing our work. We are doing his work. The most important thing we can do with our lives is continuing the ministry of Jesus. When we care for the elderly, when we care for the orphan, when we care for the most misfortunate people, He is the one that is caring. He is the one that is loving. He is the one that is showing this world that there is hope. Isaiah 43 these two verses are just incredible. God says in Isaiah 43, forget what happened in the past and do not dwell on events from long ago. I am going to do something new. It's so easy for us to look back and just sit and say, look at the wonderful things that God did. Look at, at everything that God has done through us. Look at everything that we've achieved. Look at everything, the way that God has blessed me. Look at my house. Look at my job. Look at my diploma. Look at my family. Look at my children. Look at this place in the center of Lisbon. Look at a new auditorium that we're going to have in a few weeks. It's going to be amazing. It's wonderful. Look at everything that God is doing. It's so easy for us to live and serve God from a place of contemplation. I already know the gospel. I've already prayed several times. I already know a lot of things. There's nothing new. Now, look at all that God has done. And God says, will you shut up about the good old days? Sorry for my language. It was not God. It was me. <laughs> but honestly when are we going to be quiet about the good old days we are the ones that God wants to use for this generation 
God says, my power is not simply a thing of the past. Seek my power now. Seek my presence now. And I'm going to ask you, Riverside, because we're a Riverside family. doesn't matter if you're here for one Sunday or for 200 Sundays. You're part of the family. God bless you. We're happy to have you. Now, family, can we trust that the Lord has more to do in Lisbon than he has done so far? Can we dare to believe that God can do a lot more than anything that he has done for us in the past? Can we believe that the greatest days of spiritual revival in the city of Lisbon are yet to come and you and I were going to be part of it? Can we dare to believe in a God that is able to move and not move through Pedro and not move through, through any other of you, but he can move through you. That he can use you. Verse 17 says, Gideon said to him, If you find me acceptable, now I'm not a native English speaker, but this just feels like a very low bar. If you find me acceptable, none of us want to be on the acceptable. If you go to an exam, if you do something, you don't, you want to have a bigger score, right? But he's happy. If you find me acceptable, give me a sign that it is really you speaking to me. Now talk about insecurity. So the angel, and we don't have much time to read through it, but you're more than... Um, more than welcome to read throughout the week. So the angel tells Gideon to prepare some food. And when Gideon puts it on the table, the angel touches the food with his staff and the flames spring up out of, of the rock and they consume the food before their very own eyes. And then the angel of the Lord disappears. And this angel of the Lord is actually probably Jesus himself because he is addressed as Lord to the angel. So it's definitely the pre very presence of God that can only be Jesus in that moment. So Gideon at that point, he is convinced that God is behind it. So just the angel is not enough. He had to have some more convincing things to do. Verse 25 says, that same night the Lord said to Gideon, Tear down the altar your father built to worship Baal. He says to Gideon, we have to start in your house, Gideon. Then build the right kind of altar for the Lord your God. Built it on this high ground. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did what the Lord had told them to do. However, he didn't do anything during the day. He was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city, so he did it at night. Again, this man is no Jason Bourne. How many of you like Jason Bourne? I love those movies. They're really good. But still, God is so patient. He doesn't criticize Gideon for this. You know why? Because obedience is way more important than bravery. Obedience is way more important of how you feel about something. Well, the next morning, everyone gets up and says, what happened to our God? And someone says, Gideon did this. I don't want to know who was this, <laughs> this guy. And then they say, let's kill Gideon. 
How dare he destroy the altar of our God? In verse 31, But Joash, Gideon's father, spoke to the crowd that was standing around him, If Baal really is a god, let him defend himself when someone tears down his altar. On that day, Joash gave Gideon a new name. He called him Jerubal. That is to say, let Baal defend himself because Gideon had broken down his altar. It's an interesting part of the story because Gideon's first assignment was to get rid of the idol in his father's house. Because before we can overcome our fears, before we're able to do incredibly incredible things for God, before we can battle the enemies that are around us and inside of us, we need to throw off the enemies and the idols within us. Now, you and I, we say, I don't have any idols. I actually think that statues are an ancient superstition. They're a silly thing to have. And probably 99.9% .9 of you agree with this. But maybe we are not understanding what idols really are. Idols are backups. Gideon's family, they never rejected God. They just started adding some other things alongside of him. You start trusting an idol that promises comfort, another idol that promises health, another idol that, pro that promises wealth, an idol that promises a good future, an idol that will get you your dream job. And all of a sudden, your heart and my heart is full of idols because we're not willing to trust God with anything. And there are two signs that there's an idol in your heart. Anxiety and disobedience. Anxiety because you are worried about your ability to have or to hold on to things. And disobedience because you start doing exactly the opposite of what God tells us to do through Scripture. For many people, they don't feel like they can trust God in the area of relationships. God, you're good and all of that, but I want to get married. I don't want to be happy. And I don't like the speed that you're making this unfold. So I'm going to do things on my own. God, this marriage that I'm in, it's terrible. I don't even know this person anymore. She is not making me happy. He is not making me happy. And we walk out of marriage in hopes of a better future. Other people feel they can't be happy without a certain income. So they cheat in the workplace. Or they just start adding more and more work time so that they don't have time for family and friends and church. They refuse to obey God financially. But before God uses you in any mission, in any purpose, he has to go to war with your idols. You can't do battle with the enemies outside until you have won the war inside. Where do you have places that you aren't sure that you can trust God? What are the areas of your heart that you've been relying and worshiping? Other things that are promising you safety, that are promising you comfort, 
because deep down inside, you're now willing to trust that God has everything in control. What are your backups? What are your idols? And like Gideon, it's time to bring those down. Well, after this, the Midianites launched a massive assault on Israel, another one. At which point the angel of God appeared to Gideon again and tells him to mount a resistance, to gather a group of people. And Gideon says again, okay, God, again, how can I be sure that you want me to do this? I, I took all my courage, it took all my bravery just to tear down that altar. <laughs> God, how can I be sure that you, you're really going to do this with me? And then Gideon comes up with his own idea. I'm going to put this wool out on the ground. And if you're really with me in the morning, this wool needs to be all wet and all the land around it needs to be dry. And Judges 6.38 says, and this is what happened. The next morning, Gideon got up early. He squeezed out a bowl full of water from the wool. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. But let me ask one more thing. Let me make one more test with the wool, please. Let the wool be dry while all the ground is covered with dew. Gideon thought, wait a minute, this was too easy. Maybe I should have asked for the wool to be dry and the ground to be wet. Maybe that's the real miracle here. Verse 40, during the night, God did what Gideon asked. The wool was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Now, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians know this famous test. This concept has been more abused than just about any other thing in the Bible. We like to create these tests to determine if God is really in something. But even see this, even Gideon knew that what he was doing with God wasn't wise. He knew that he was testing God's patience. Please, God, don't be angry with me because that's what his answer deserved. I'm not saying that it's always wrong to ask God for confirmations. But if you're making decisions based on the word of God, on the things that God already told you, and you're confirming that with godly people, with godly counsel in your local church, I believe that you already are walking in solid ground. You have what you need in order to make the good decisions that God wants. But Gideon's main question was not whether God wanted him to do this. But God, how do I really know that you're on my side? God, how do I really know that I'm not going to die in that battlefield? And that's what you and I, we fear many times. We suddenly forget everything we know about God. We suddenly forget everything we've learned from God and we get paralyzed with fear. When time and time again we face those dark times, you and I, we have something much better. Much better than a test that shows us that God is in control. That God is on our side. We have the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32 says, 
If God did not hesitate to spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, can we not trust such a God to give us with him everything else that we can need? This is how we know that God is on our side. On the cross where Jesus died, God already proved that he has our backs. He already took our worst actions. He took all of our fears and he proved to be on our side. And if Jesus, if God did not forsake us, when we had our backs turned to him, how much more now? How much more now that you've listened to his sweet voice calling you by name, forgiving you and loving you every day of your life? How much more now that you're going through a storm that is scary, that is big, that you don't know how's it going to end, but that Jesus is in the boat? 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And I love this phrase, fear has to do with punishment. We see something that makes us afraid, and we immediately feel vulnerable, and this is because of the Garden of Eden. The first effect of the fall is this sense of nakedness. We feel vulnerable. We try to put on some rags. We try to cover up. We try to make this impression to people that we have it all together, that everything is okay. But soon the storm in life is going to take it all away. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, we're not just covered. We are clothed in righteousness. Because God has perfect love. Perfect love drives out our fears. When we trust God, when we know the one that loves us this way, it drives out all fear. God's love is perfect in its intensity. He couldn't have loved, He couldn't love us more. In his constancy, He will never abandon us. It's sufficient. His love is sufficient. There is nothing that He won't have enough of. God's love is perfect because it's sovereign. He knows you inside out. And still, He chooses to love you. Why are we so afraid? When we are experiencing fear, we just need to look at the cross. We just have to remind ourselves that our burdens, our fears, our future is already secure. Your future is already secured in Jesus. Regardless of what might happen in life, regardless of the news that you're going to receive tomorrow, regardless of the pains and the sorrows that you carry in your own heart, your end is a good end. The cross is the proof of that. If you trust in Jesus for your salvation, then you are eternally saved. And that salvation starts today. 
God's answer to every fear in your life is, I am with you. I want to invite the worship team to come. And I want to ask you, what would life be like in any situation if you knew perfectly that God is with you? Think about what is keeping you awake at night. Think about all the different idols that you're starting to collect in your heart. What would life be like if you fully knew and understood that God was with you and he is for you? Going into surgery, knowing God says, I am with you. Going into a new job, into a new relationship, and God says, I am with you. Stepping out into ministry and obey, obeying God in that way, and God says, I am with you. Going to talk with someone about the gospel, and God says, I am with you. If you read just about any secular article about overcoming fears, it almost always starts this way. Control your thoughts. Don't think about the things that frighten you. But God's peace comes in a different way. It's not closing your eyes to the storm. It's not ignoring that there are things that are scary and frightening you. But it's opening your eyes to the presence of God beside you. True courage comes from the presence of God. True courage comes from the promises of God. And they're given to you and me and God will not take them back because Jesus already died for us. There's no other way and no need of a different way for God to prove that he is for you and that he is with you. Take a good look at your identity in Christ to give you the courage that you need to face those storms, to face those battles, to face those idols. And that's why God can say to all of you, to all of us this morning, the Lord is with you, brave woman of God. The Lord is with you, brave men of God. The Lord is with you, brave and courageous woman. You are a brave and courageous man of God. Let's stand this morning. Lord, we ask you, as we remain in your presence and as we worship you, we want to Say sorry, Lord, for all the times and for all the ways that we've been adding backups. Then we've been taking things into our own hands because we were too fearful to fully trust you with our lives. Father, we want to ask you, Lord, for forgiveness. And that you will give us the courage to 
tear down any idols and tear down any altars to the wrong gods and goddesses inside our hearts. And then like Gideon did, that we all may build up a new altar. A new altar inside of us, an altar that is worthy of you. The altar that you want to live in. The altar that we want to serve you from. Lord, come and change our hearts. You know how uncapable, but so many times unwilling to, to open our hearts to you. But we ask this morning, Lord, help us to do that. That will, there will be no one indifferent. That will be no one resisting your spirit this morning. May our heart be this open space. May this, our heart be open for you to come, to do what you need to do. And Lord, we ask, make us brave. Make us brave. Make us courageous in you. Make us brave in the cross of Jesus Christ. Make us brave in the spirit that lives in us. Make us brave to obey you every day of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name.